episode 53. The biggest difference I found here is that, you know, you find that one specialty is just not enough. You have to be a well-rounded player. You might be smarter, your daddy might own a company, but you will not outwork me. This one right here is for the people. I'm your host, Ryan J. Owens, current pro athlete, entrepreneur, and former USA national team volleyball player. I will not be defined by my athleticism alone, but I've learned how to leverage it, to stay passionate about it, and prepare for life. That's why the Beyond Athletic podcast was born. I'll bring you case studies of current and former elite athletes making it happen in life, as well as tips and lessons from top sources in sports, nutrition, fitness, entrepreneurship, and more. I'm here to tell you that you are Beyond Athletic. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. Today's guest is Lauren Shad. This is another athlete case study. Last weekend, we hit a huge hurdle physically, and of course, that ties into emotions, mental, social, health aspects. This weekend, we're going more towards the social realm as the strongest part of the hurdle with an athlete whose Native American heritage has come up this year with her team where she got a chance to teach them about the true meaning of Thanksgiving from the Native American viewpoint. And it's a special episode for me. My mother is half Chippewa Native American and our family on that side is still on the reservations in North Dakota. And to be perfectly honest with you, when I went, it didn't look very much different than the west side of Chicago's ghetto that I grew up in until third grade. And that was a shame because for me, when I thought of Native Americans, I thought of a completely different thing. I thought of everything they showed me in books and green pastures and, and life was great and people got along and were like, blah, blah, blah. No. And life is very hard. And I love the fact that she can educate some of her teammates. And I hope that you guys will learn something from that. But the reason I brought Lauren on was because she is one of the standout players coming out of college last year. She was in 2016 as a senior. Uh, she went down in the record books for her school, which was University of San Diego. She was the second best single hitting percentage history ever in that school history. She was an honorable mention All-American. She was ranked number three in hitting percentage at 410 in the NCAA. She was actually third best senior uh, and 12th overall. She was first in the West Coast Conference in hitting percentage and she was 10th all-time best career blocker at USD, which is actually something she's taken with her while it's hard as a pro when you're a middle blocker and a lot of your hitting has to do with your connection with the setter and whether or not your passers get the ball up there, this is why I switched to opposite, I'm just saying. To be able to translate some of your skills directly to your first pro career, and especially when you're with a team that's losing, says a tremendous amount about an athlete. And all of these factors that I've just mentioned are many of the reasons why I wanted Lauren on this show because I wanted a couple athletes just really to highlight these people are amongst us. They are us sometimes, you know, that have gone through these huge struggles or going through these huge struggles, whether it's to deal with, you know, physical things that you could never control or social things that you can never control. But you can personally grab a hold of those things and try to grow and deal with them 
and educate other people. And so I hope that you all learned something from this episode. Uh, Lauren's a very good player and she played twice for our USA collegiate national team. So I'm very, very happy to welcome her to the show. She grew up in South Dakota in Rapid City. So big shout out to everybody in South Dakota. I hope that she continues to do her camps there. I hope that we can do a camp there with her. Uh, I know that that's something special that we could bring to people who definitely would never be able to get that at a high level and be able to get seen by colleges when there's just so much talent in these places. This is why I'm in the Balkans. So I hope you enjoy that episode or this episode. If you do, please rate it or review it, anything on iTunes to say what you like about it, what you're looking to hear more from us. And really, if the least you can do is share out this link, please, by all means do. Without further ado, Lauren Shad. Hey guys, welcome back. Lauren Shad is the guest today. How are you today? I'm good, how are you? I'm really good. I'm, uh, I'm I'm a little upset that I missed my flight to New York today, but that's all right. It was my fault. Lesson learned. Don't miss transatlantic <laughs> flights. <laughs> always be ready. Always be ready. <laughs> Prepare. Always for be ready. Oh my gosh! And, and the worst part is that I was up at five fifteen, and the flight was like oh, uh, no. seven thirty. So I was definitely, and it's only twelve minutes away from where I was. Screw so you were committed. You were there. The intention was there. Well, the bags could have gone, or the bags had to stay, but I could have gone. So obviously, I wasn't. All right, uh, let's tell people a little bit more about uh, how we know each other. Obviously, I run the podcast. I also run Elite Poly, which is a, an agency that helps college students um, abroad come to America and play. Uh, and this is kind of a smaller piece of the business and something new, just something that's important to me. And then obviously what I'm doing with you, which is signing you with teams, negotiating those deals, trying to help you build yourself up as an athlete, as a brand, as a human, right. and acclimate to that transition, right? Yep. Um, and how we actually got to know each other is a funny story, because the moment I'm looking up, like, okay, I need strong middles, I need, you know, I'm, I know what I'm looking <laughs> for in terms of players, and I look on the list, I have no clue about your background from your name, which overseas, you know, you can start to tell where people are from so quickly, and I go on right. your Facebook page, and then I know... Right away, I'm like, I notice I'm stalking you all the time because you see all this stuff about Native Americans and like, you're always like, it was just like honest and I, I loved it. So we get to talking, obviously, you don't think I'm crazy and okay, here we are. You're signed with Elite now. You're in uh, where now? I'm in France. It's a little town that's located in central France uh, near Clermont-Ferrand called Chamaliers. I love it. And I remember the first time I saw the team and they, they wrote and I was like, how did they do it? How do I say the team name? Oh. oh, I had no idea. It took me a while. <laughs> <I was laughs> but like, I love Cham, the way it sounds. Cham, Cham. Yeah. Cham, like, Cham, 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 uh, yeah. And they're like, no, 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 no. Learn this. This is the first thing you need to learn in French. It's like, Got it. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I'm happy, really happy that you came on, and there's some exciting things that I know that we would like to try to, to do for other people, and especially for natives, and um, maybe we'll get a little bit into that. Uh, but right now, why don't you just take it away, tell a little bit about your, a little bit about your background, what sets you apart, you feel, from other kids, how it was like growing up, and how you got into volleyball. We'll stop you there. Yeah, of course. Um... Well, I am originally from Rapid City, South Dakota, 
and I am from the Shine River Sioux Tribe. I always start my introductions like this <laughs> if you see any of my posts. But um, I was born and raised there. We never moved, lived in the same house. Um, the town I lived in was approximately maybe 80,000 people, so it was kind of tiny. But um, yeah, I have two sisters and I um, was really active growing up. I joined gymnastics, but then that was short-lived seeing as, you know, at one point my legs would hit the other bars and they just said it was impossible to do so. And I moved on to soccer and then basketball, which is what I initially really loved. And then in seventh grade, um, my basketball coach was also the volleyball coach. And he said, you know, you're pretty tall for a seventh grader. I think maybe, you know, you should try out some volleyball, see how you like it. You don't, whatever. And uh, in eighth grade, I tried it out. I felt, you know, this is fun. It's cool. Let me like, let's just take a chance and like try out for the high school team. I, I doubt I'll make it. Who knows? And um, kind of the rest is history. I ended up making the freshman team and uh, we were champions that year. Just saying. <laughs> and um, just, saying. just saying it's it was a big thing and um and then I just found my passion for it and I ended up doing through going into my sophomore year I did a lot more camps I went into I started club which um at the time there was only one or two club teams in the entire state of South Dakota so some people were um, commuting two to three hours for practice a night Luckily, it was only about 20 minutes from my house, um, and I ended up making varsity the next year, and that's kind of where my passion and where I recognized that I was able to kind of play the sport pretty well, and I also had basketball and track and field to really kind of help me blossom as an athlete, and that's kind of just what got me going into volleyball. In my senior year, I started getting more and more offers. And that's when I realized that it was something that I really wanted to pursue collegiately. So, love it. I'm going to stop you there, and I'm going to rewind a little bit. I want to go to. There's two big things here that I kind of just want to right. go over. First of all, you have uh, pride for your blood and what that means. So, what are you exactly? What's your mixture? What's all that? Um, I'm about fifty percent, roughly, um, half Native American. And then my dad has uh, a German side, and my mom's also French-Canadian. So that's pretty much what a mixture I am. It's not too complex, but uh, the one I most identify with, for sure, and my family, the traditions we follow are all my Native American side, which comes from both my parents. And that brings me right to the other thing that I wanted to mention, because uh, mm -hmm. I, I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but I mean, my mother right. grew up on um, the tribal lands in North Dakota. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, uh, I can't even remember the city, but anyway, it's Turtle Mountain Reservation. Mm -hmm. And so when people think about reservations, I remember when I was a kid and I was like, wow, I'm Native American, like, I'm Native American. What, like, okay, TPs, like, whatever. Right. I have no clue. I'm in Chicago, for crying out loud, on the west side. With like shooting it's still like that, though. I was going to say, everybody knows. Yeah, so uh, what my question to you is, is uh, how was your life, and, and do you, um, what's the difference between your life and, and someone else that might have been in the different situation? What would that picture look like? 
right um well so the reservation that my family is from like where all my cousins live and my uncles and aunts there um in eagle butte south dakota which is roughly three hours from the city i grew up in but we would always go back there and we're really really close with them so it was i got to see how the reservation like life really is and i got to see it for you know the beautiful parts and some of the not so beautiful parts and i think that differs a lot so beautiful parts um you know you see people living in really horrible conditions like the poverty rates are unreal and you see i mean you don't there's certain things you don't see but statistically um you know that are there on reservation life and it's kind of hard to beat them um you know how native american women are uh, two and a half times more likely to be sexually assaulted um and just things that they're exposed to you're able to see kind of the really kind of brutal parts of it but then you also see the beautiful parts of it and i think there's a huge stigma around reservation life and i've witnessed this firsthand of people coming to me and asking me what it's like and uh, in some instances people you know they are scared to even go on the reservation i've had people say oh my gosh like your family's from the reservation like very very almost closed-minded and just very unaware of what were um they were strangers that i met on planes um i Mm -hmm. think um coming home from san diego or going to san diego i met a woman and she just told me about a story where uh in americorps one of her friends worked on a reservation and she's she made it seem like such a scary foreign concept and that you know it was just so crazy what i heard that people were relaying information that reservations were not a place to go to they were this horrible scary place that if you were caucasian or any other like race other than native american it was almost essentially dangerous for you to go there and mm-hmm. it just blew my mind because i would hear this from a woman sitting um like on my plane going to california or i would hear it from uh, classmates that were in high school who we were surrounded by reservations and literally if you drive anywhere in south dakota like you're going to be passing through them like you go through the badlands you pass reservations often and these people just in every circumstance really didn't understand um kind of the uh, like the culture that was still living there and that um there was so much more than these stigmas that people had about it and it was just kind of shocking to me because i you know when i came to california even people would ask us on reservations like oh do you like ride horses to school like do you guys live in teepees and at first i thought they were kidding and then when i saw their faces they were like no seriously what like what do you guys do on the reservation like what is there to do and it it's just something that i was exposed to really early on growing up and i have seen it just continue this kind of uh this idea of what reservations are like throughout my entire life of every age group. So, And just to clear up two things, because there's a pretty international crowd that listens uh, bad right. lands. And then what would you say were the beautiful things about reservations? Um, really the family orientedness of everything and the sense of community, um, regardless if, um, 
I guess the concept of it's not immediate family. If you grew up with somebody, they were your family. You have this community that's always supporting you and always there for you. And even when I didn't grow up on the reservation, but I had a sense of huge pride from where I was coming from. And I would have people who I may not know, but my dad grew up with sending me the kindest words and always like telling me how much they supported me and had my back and how they were always there for me. And you see all these good moments. You see, um, for instance, the land for like my um, Cheyenne River is <laughs> I like hands down. I'm not biased either one of the most beautiful places and you see the badlands which is this area of um we're gonna have to insert image right here Mm -hmm. um but this area that's just it looks so foreign and it looks so different from anything you've ever seen and it's just you can just feel the richness of the land and it just really brings you back to your roots and um it gives you a sense of pride and reminds you who you are and where you come from, especially from the native community. And you just see people coming together despite their differences. And it's just a really amazing feeling constantly going back to that. And it's always something that I have that I'm able to go back to. It just makes me, I mean, I'm listening to you and I'll just throw something in here really quick because I remember the right. first time, I mean, I grew up on the west side of Chicago and for anyone right. who doesn't understand what that is, just imagine when you see a quote-unquote black movie and you're looking at a quote-unquote ghetto and uh, you're looking at, for instance, uh, a lot of violence, uh, fights, uh, broken down houses, drug use, whatever. Um, I always try to tell people um, because I grew up in the middle of the West Side in a really, really bad area where paramedics have to carry guns. Someone's shot. Someone wanted to kill them. It wasn't an accident. And if you want to come save their life, they're going to try and kill you too. So, and growing up there and then in third grade moving to Evanston, and it's like, you know, uh, you could call it like even preppy almost. <laughs> and it's completely right. different. Uh, I was the lightest kid in my neighborhood on the West Side, hands mm. down. And uh, I got a lot of crap for it. And there I fit in because there's so many different colors. But when I went, when I was in high school to the reservation in um, North Dakota, I was was blown away because I had this image in my head, like we talked about earlier. And then all I saw were these really, really crappy, like government type housing that was like two stories high lots of blocks of them and then nothing for a long areas really open lots like where i was on the west side right. you know puddles broken down furniture trash over here mm-hmm. then we go to another section of the the reservation and there were some nicer buildings and it was you know right it wasn't you know it didn't look all ratty and whatever but had all of that in one area and then i do remember saying seeing so it's funny that you asked i asked you like you ride horses or whatever to school there were a lot of people actually riding horses. Down oh the no, they ride them down the street. They yeah. totally do yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there was like a, a, a march, and my mother or my aunt ended up telling me it was because they were uh, having, let's say, discussions about who was going to be chief, the new chief. And then we go outside the the reservation to my grandfather's home, and my grandfather's mostly Norwegian, and he yeah. built this home. And I'm looking at like the way he he's lived this whole life and i'm thinking wow this is so gritty like this is like real like everybody here and everybody like you said 
the it didn't matter which area they were in or whatever everybody was so sweet the family that had never seen me since i was a tiny baby treated me like incredibly everybody who was in that neighborhood wanted to know more about me or said like they heard things about me because one story from this or that and i was just like it's incredible how the sense of community and family when people have no clue who i am and you know i was just blown away so i can feel you on that let's let's fast forward here let's bring it um a little more current obviously i said a little bit about you in the the intro about your college Um, it doesn't seem like that right now obviously (laughs) (laughs) but uh i just i want to go to you had a great college career you know you're all american you're one of the were you like you were ranked what in hitting percentage number one number two three Um, number one middle right or second second. yeah i was was second in school history for the highest hitting percentage in a um, in a single season yeah and then um in the nation i was number 12 i think so it's all awesome. ridiculous <laughs> i remember when i saw it and i was just like <laughs> i like these numbers okay, i like these nice, numbers nice numbers yeah. <laughs> um so we we go from being there and then thinking about going pro uh take right. us through like give us uh, really paint a picture for us about the moment you started to think about pro what was a catalyst towards getting you there what action you took or what happened and then what did you do that you think helped you prepare for pro and once you got to pro how much different was it um and what other you know experiences have you had since in yeah sure you may have to repeat some questions because i'm gonna i'm gonna breeze through this just tell the Um, whole story yeah go ahead (laughs) um so it's so funny um, I am going to bring this up because Brent Hilliard, my assistant coach, said this to me my freshman year, and I always look back on it because I think it's so funny. He, I was training one day, and he said, you know, Lauren, I look at you playing, and I can't decide, I haven't decided if you're going to be, like, an amazing volleyball player. I think he said Olympian, and then was like, or a cab driver for Mexico. Like, I can't decide yet. Like, I'll let you know. And I was like, fantastic. Like, cool. Like, this was his humor. And it was my first year. I was like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is so much pressure. I had um, two of the best middles in program history um, as my seniors kind of leading me and showing me um, what I had to live up to. Um, So I... I don't, I guess like it probably when I started thinking about pro was maybe my junior year. I hadn't first year. I was kind of like, Oh my gosh, I'm at a division one college. This is insane. Like I have a scholarship, like this is unheard of, uh, from, you know, from South Dakota. Um, I don't even think that many people like they'll go division one, but it's usually division one in state or around. It's not a top 25 ranked team. And, that and I'll throw in there, by the way, because you're not <laughs> saying it, but I mean, it's also not that heard of for Native Americans to be getting rides oh, to not, school right. and playing D1. Exactly. So. so it was like it was just a really surreal situation where I the circumstances worked out perfectly and almost eerily perfectly. Like it was weird how everything linked up. And, um, so my gone to my junior year when I started getting a little bit better, (laughs) I was like, okay, you know, 
my coach had asked me, hey, have you ever thought about playing pro? Like, what if you want to play? And I was like, eh, maybe. Like, I don't know. We'll see how the season goes. And that was genuinely my mentality. And after my senior season, when I feel like that was when I kind of just flourished and I got really confident on the court, I was, um, I was like, you know what? Yeah, I think I, I really want to play pro. I, I, I love being competitive. I love this feeling of how I get on the court and how it just feels to be a part of a team. And I just wasn't ready to be done yet. Um, we had an amazing season. We were ranked number five in the nation. We broke barriers, had we beat Stanford at home, like at their home. We beat UCLA, like these huge teams. And the way our season ended is we lost in the first round. And just the feeling I got from that, I was like, I'm not ready to quit my career on something like this. Like I'm not ready to be finished. And I took a part-time job as um, a coach um, in the spring semester of my senior season. And that was kind of like what set it over the edge. I was like, okay, I've done the coaching. I've done the player. And if I'm feeling like every time I'm coaching, I just want to be on the court. I feel like that's a sign that I want to keep playing. Like it's something I want to continue to do. And um, I mean, after, as you said, after you stalked me for months and months, uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> let's clarify that that was a very nice, gentle. It was. No, it was. No, it was. Signed agreement with me. It was just all like, good hey, jokes. Like all good jokes. <laughs> all good jokes. And um, kind of when you contacted me, you know, it kind of. I was thinking about getting an agent, and you got me just at the right time. Um, you were, I don't know, just the approach you took. You were very like, you know what take time to think about this. This is a really big decision. It's your decision. It's your life. But I, I see something in you. And when we talked more about the overall, um, what, what is the word I'm looking for? <laughs> the overall um, goal and vision of mm-hmm. Elite Volley, that it wasn't just an agency and about, um, you know, the monetary value we're bringing in or how much this and this and all the politics with agents, because I'd heard horror stories um, it was nice to find an agency that was more not just about money, but about the player and how it can you can make it the best experience and actually uh, mentor and keep these networking connections for after you're done playing volley or throughout your entire volleyball career. So it was um, a pretty easy decision for me. And you got my mom's approval. So <laughs> I was yeah. like, yeah, okay. Like, Laura yeah mom you know what she said yes like that's 100 like that's that's how I know (laughs) and um and so that's kind of it just you know I and then I had the minor freak out for even though it was so early I was like oh my gosh the team hasn't even talked to me yet like oh my god I was freaking out I told you that Um, yeah I know but when oh it was like (laughs) I think it was maybe (laughs) April maybe maybe even in March when no team like teams are still in season that's what I was gonna say it was definitely in March (laughs) I was like it was when teams are still in season they still have sometimes two months left of their season then they don't even start recruiting till June or July sometimes September and August and I was like oh my gosh like I was freaking out and then this opportunity came with France and I had taken French you know in high school and in college um it was actually my number one um country I wanted to go to I don't know if I told you that but I might yeah, we talked about it. yeah yeah it was my number one country I wanted to go to and my coach 
Brent again said, you think as a professional athlete, you can just choose the country you want to go to. Like the country chooses you, like you, you know, like the team chooses you. You don't get to just pick where you want to go. And I kind of gave him a little hard time after that. I was like, hey man, like I'm going to France. Remember? Remember what I told you? Like <laughs> the first place I wanted to go. And he's like, okay, that's not. <laughs> so everything, I mean, it's crazy how easy and it's not in a sense of how like hard work or anything like that, but how smooth things have gone as far as my journey to get to where I am. Because there were a lot of times where it just didn't seem like it was going to work or that uh, plans were going to fall through. And I just never knew it was always kind of this unsure thing, but with getting recruited to college and then getting um, recruited to professional volleyball, it all just was so smooth and it was so much better than I could have ever imagined. So what would you say, like, for instance, um, you're, you're playing pro now, you're over right. there. What do you think <laughs> helped you uh, transition to this and how has it met your expectations or, you know, been something else? Um, well, something that really helped me is, um, well, you and um, Elite Volley really encourages you to get out and network way before you even get to your destination or before you even know if you have a team. So I met with a lot of people that had previously played overseas, and I met with people who were in small towns, in big towns, um, in low-level, like not low-level, but lower-level teams like mm -hmm. in the league B and then people who were playing, you know, that were Olympians and went to Italy and went to Turkey. And I kind of compared everybody's story and, um, you know, it really helped me just prepare mentally and focus on what was important going over, um, such as like going in with a great mindset and kind of being really open-minded and, uh, always just making sure you're watching out for yourself and, taking care of yourself and um, really because just you don't have the team around yourself like you do. Exactly. Right. And you, you don't know anybody, uh, your family's gone. So it was really important to mentally take care of yourself physically. Um, <laughs> it's almost the same. I think as, you know, just important. It's the exact same as mentally and physically and emotionally too, because, you know, you're going through different times, which is, I think, one of the harder things that I found myself is I always like, I, it wasn't so hard for me to be away from my family because I had went to college in California and I was what well, I thought so far away from my family and I was used to it and I missed them, but I had kind of been conditioned to like deal with that. And my sisters were up Northern California. So I kind of had a nice in. And so when I came here, I just told myself that it was something similar to college, except they just couldn't see my games and come visit once every four months and that it was just three months longer. But it still has been difficult adjusting to that, just knowing, uh, well, I think what the hard part is that the time difference is you can't mm, talk to yeah. them at normal times. So, you know, you're ending your day when they're starting it, vice versa. And um, you're seeing all these things that's happening back at home with them. And it's hard sometimes to see that you're missing those memories that they're building, like, mm -hmm. um, you know, on holidays or any, um, you know, birthdays or anything like that, anything special like that. And that was probably the hardest thing for me is just because I am extremely close with my family. Um, 
they're I just I can't even explain how close we are and so that was kind of my biggest thing right now but um the best thing for me was really surrounding myself with people here that I could connect with and that I found like I easily gelled with you know um Paige who is also part of elite volley agency is how we actually met and how we got recruited together um are like it's just so amazing that I have her here and that we're both kind of going through the same things together and that we're both rookies and we're able to share those experiences with each other and really bond on a different level and then at the same time like I'm getting to meet girls from all across you know the world and the globe and just to find similarities between us and be able to like make those other connections and kind of branch out from just, you know, us hanging out together. We're hanging out with like a girl from Czech and Serbia and Brazil and all the, you know, France, obviously. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Are there any French <laughs> Talking people to there? French people in France. What, what a concept. Um, and so it's just surrounding myself with really good people and really just opening up to them and um you know like how we've talked before making yourself vulnerable and allowing yourself to open up to new people and a new place and you find that they're there to support you just as much as your family back home and your community and it makes it a lot easier being in a foreign place when you kind of have that support system behind you yeah i mean that reminds you i mean you had we just had thanksgiving that popped up recently right right and mm-hmm. it's always when you're you have these holidays that as a pro volleyball player it's always going to be the same holidays that you're going to miss back home wherever right. you're from and for americans okay it's right. always uh thanksgiving and christmas are the huge ones yeah <laughs> christmas is the big one for yeah, me it's so, like halloween I'm like oh my yeah God, halloween, can't halloween. <laughs> and the best part is that i'm an october baby and i just forgot about it's halloween. my favorite halloween but they have their they have their carnival and everything Right, right, Did you right. see any of that? I think mm-hmm. you did have an outfit. You dressed up this year, but it was called Halloween there? Yeah. Okay, because in some countries they'll call it Carnival. And it's, it's just hilarious. But it's not like Brazilian Carnival. So, no. But you had some people over for Thanksgiving, or what did you what did you end up doing? I mean, that was just in the last couple of weeks. Yeah, so we ended up, the um, three of the Americans, uh, Kathleen, Paige, and me, we had it at Kate's place and we basically just um, made this meal for our entire team. We just invited them over and said, guys, it's like a team thing. We just want to um, kind of show you a piece of our culture and we're going to celebrate like Serbian Christmas. And like, we're trying to figure out, we're trying to plan all these different holidays and so that we can expose uh, people to different um traditions and just kind of share them with them that creates a new intimacy level and shows them where you come from and lets them know a little bit more about you as a person and you know your nationality and kind of what you celebrate and your values there so we brought the whole team together we made a huge dinner um always we had so many extras so many extras but i I mean is it thanksgiving (laughs) if like you didn't have extras we were and everyone was like oh my gosh we're so tired i'm like yeah 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 that's like the food coma after thanksgiving (laughs) like it's notoriously known everybody knows it this is a thing and then um everyone's like but why do we have like six full desserts like why do we have like 20 different entrees and you're like that's just a part of it like this is it this is this is all of it like um but everybody loved it it was a huge success and then 
kind of uh, towards the end, um, we just got together as a group and we went around because uh, it was a tradition that Kate's family did is they went around individually in a group and just um, said out loud to the whole group what they were thankful for and, um, you know, just uh, gave thanks to whatever your heart wanted to and you just shared it with the group Mm -hmm. and then um that's when Kathleen also asked me to tell the historic events behind Thanksgiving so and actually I mean this is something that uh, it's really kind of heavy on my heart that uh, Mm -hmm. these days I feel like more and more we're celebrating things but we're so much busier and whatever than you know geez 10 years ago 20 years ago 30 years ago you look back and things were so much slower and the information age is just lightning fast and people are just done you're so done when you come home and you're so done Mm -hmm. after you've been working for so many months and so when you get around family whatever it's just like yes finally family and it's almost like we're forgetting some of the reasons behind these holidays know what I mean well yeah and the one of the girls (laughs) during thanks and she's French it was everyone thought it was funny um it was before I had told them kind of the historical meaning behind it and the original like story of Thanksgiving but she (laughs) was telling her thanks and she's like you know I'm thankful for um you guys and the family we've built and that we're really close and etc etc but then she's like I don't really know why we're here but (laughs) it's like, I don't know why we're here just eating all this food, but like, I'm thankful for it, I guess. You know, she was like, I'm thankful that we're all together. And she's like, but I really don't know why we're here. So (laughs) this is one thing I love about being abroad is that there's, I feel like there's so much more honesty with people because they'll just like speak what really is on their heart sometimes like oh bluntly we're, i'm like what yeah. <laughs> what like, yeah why are we even here <laughs> but they like, say it in a nice way i was gonna say they're not meaning maliciously or anything they're just yeah. like straight up like i don't really know why we're here but you know yeah. in america you'll never hear somebody say that but like here it's just like first thing she says i don't know why we're here with all this food and why we're eating but i guess i'm you know but she was so willing to like just engulf herself in what we were doing and like to try new things and we were like okay we'll, we'll tell you like we'll tell you why you're, you're here just like you know it was just kind of a funny yeah. moment because everyone was like all right very blunt like that's exactly how it is here so I mean why don't we even go through it do you feel like explaining is there a brief there's I mean obviously we don't have a ton of time but right. if you were to explain to someone to try and educate people about uh, these things that you you shared with them yeah would that be something you could share with our audience yeah of course um okay uh what's the thing where you're like forewarning like may emotions you know all over the place in the fields (laughs) yeah um so i'll just start with i guess since we are kind of it's an international audience too um that Thanksgiving that's widely known in America is um, just a common story that pilgrims or colonists and uh, Native Americans came together and had a big feast to celebrate basically unity and friendship and, uh, you know, at the beginning of the Americas. And that's what we're widely taught when we're kids, because it's the cookie cutter story and it's what's not brutal and honest and it's kind of just like a blanket to cover these truths and our actual history um so i'll try to 
it condense it down as much, but keep all the richness and facts and everything in it. But um, so I guess where it started was um, when the colonists first came and they kind of were just checking out and scoping out the Americas. They, you know, they were, um, I don't want to say introduced because it's not like they just ran into each other and they were waiting for each other, you know, contact eventually they met each other and like they were eventually they knew of each other's existence but at that time when they would go back to britain they took um roughly 500 native american slaves to just go back and work for them and essentially the native americans that were left in the area died of smallpox and disease that completely wiped them out that was brought over from the explorers and so um where the Thanksgiving comes in is when they returned back to Massachusetts, um, they found uh, the Native American, who everyone knows as Squanto, who um, were told, oh, he spoke English and he taught them how to uh, grow corn and gather berries and taught them to fish. But really, the reason he spoke English was because he was enslaved. He you know, was in Britain and in Spain for a long time before he got, made it back. And he, you know, he was a slave, but he did teach these new colonists how to do all these things. That is accurate. He taught them to grow corn, gather berries, fish, everything. And he actually negotiated a peace treaty between the pilgrims that were there and the Native Americans. But at the end of the first year, where they're harvesting everything, and this is kind of where the common story um, gets little facts from it, is this area right here. Um, they held a feast, but it, the Native Americans weren't even invited. Like they were just exercising their arms, and you know, um, that's when the natives had heard that uh, they heard these noises, and they went there because they thought they were under attack. And the head of the group was like, "Oh, okay. Like we'll invite you and your uh, men to eat with us." And um, that's how the Native Americans and pilgrims ended up eating together. And that's essentially what we see as the first feast but the whole history now behind it is that that's when more puritans started to arrive and they began seizing the land and they began capturing young and strong natives to enslave them and began just doing horrendous horrendous things and a native group who didn't agree to this peace treaty because as we have to remember there's still a peace treaty in you know intact like between these two nations and yet the Puritans are going against that treaty. Well, another native group who wasn't a part of it um, started to fight back and it became the, it essentially became one of the bloodiest wars, um, like one of the bloodiest Indian wars ever fought. And mm -hmm. during this time, 700 natives had gathered together for the Green Corn Festival, which is um, our form of Thanksgiving of coming together with different communities. And the um, English and Dutch mercenaries, they basically raided the area in the morning, like early, early morning. And they, um, they, uh, they ended up just massacring this whole, sorry, um, this whole group of women and children and men that were unarmed and were just celebrating together and they ended up 
just massacring them in horrendous, horrendous ways. And after this successful massacre, the governor declared a day of Thanksgiving because they were able to kill all these men, women, and children. And after that, like after that one massacre, massacre they just started raiding individual villages and just going to each one and killing them off and enslaving um, women and children that were over the age of 14 that fit their criteria but if they didn't they would just kill them and I mean it you know bounties were even being paid for Indian scalps just so that more people would just be killed <laughs> and after each successful massacre and rape they would just hold a day at Thanksgiving for ridding the world of these people and um that's that's kind of where it comes from and then um when george washington became president he chose that there should only be one day put aside a year and just make it an annual thing rather than just holding a huge feast after these huge massacres and then that's when during the civil war abraham lincoln declared it a national holiday um yeah <laughs> and that's kind of how the day thanksgiving actually came to be it wasn't you know the common story that we're yeah. constantly hearing it's just the most horrendous thing you could possibly think of and um it's to native americans it's a lot of native americans they don't even look at it as a day of thanksgiving or celebration it's a day of mourning of their ancestors and all of those you know people who lost their lives and it's just it's it's not taught because it's not the favored story it's not that american dream of two groups coming together peacefully and how it was and it's you know i've asked people why why is the story not told like why are we not taught this as kids because this is a very big thing this is not a minor detail that you just skip over and it's because you know they have all different types of excuses some people are like oh my gosh so no like that either they don't believe it or they're just saying that we're looking for pity or anything from this group because i've heard that so many times or i've heard that that's too harsh to tell little kids. So we're just going to tell them a fake story. Like we don't want to expose them to all these gory details, but when they're kids, you don't have to expose them to the gory details. You just have to tell them to be respectful for what it is and what the truth is and not just cookie cutter and blanket over these facts. And yeah, it was, it's just, it's a lot. And when I was telling the story to the girls, like, they were just uh, silent. Like they didn't know what to say because they said, I mean, essentially these girls know more than a lot of Americans do. And it's just so disheartening to know that. And it's, it's just a lot. Like, <laughs> so. I, I mean, I'll, I'll just grab it from you really quick to obviously give you a break. I mean, I feel horrible when I hear it and just imagining 
what happened and, and understanding, you know, because I, I grew up in a, a mixed household. Well, not really. My, I grew up with my father and he's black, but I have this whole other side of me, right? That's Norwegian and right. American. And I can't run away from it because when I seek these people out and I finally meet them and I start learning about it, I start learning about these things. Whenever I learn something, I dive into it. Like I'm interested in going as far into it as possible because I really want to know. You know, and I don't want the sugar-coated version. I want, I want truth and I want to understand. And growing up as this mixed kid and having like this crazy kind of reverse racism where like I was getting beat up before third grade, before we had to move from the West Side because I was like the white boy. It was crazy. And then going to Evanston and being on the North Shore and being like the black kid and then going overseas and like all these things started to teach me about that so many people take this easier way because it's easier on your soul, it's easier on your right. mind when you just hear this, this, this whatever. I, I, it's really frustrating. Like, uh, I'll, I'll just throw out one more analogy. I mean, you have blackface, for instance, in the Netherlands. And blackface is right. literally a children's story where around Christmas they dress up with a stupid get up, like uh, they're, they're cleaner or whatever, but they put on basically what's supposed to be coal on their face because that's the story they've been told is that they're celebrating christmas because this uh black faced kid and i can't remember the name right now who was actually a character in a book that was a real black slave who did all of the crap for this white man and they changed the story and when they're confronted with it they're like well we can't change that that's right. you know that's the story that's that's the history and so they want to sugarcoat it and they want to just ignore it and that's why we get all these problems so i'm really at the same time as i i feel pain and i'm sorrow and and you know shame almost because i know that if i'm not trying to educate people and if i'm holding these things out inside and i'm not voicing them and i'm not educating other people i know that it's just going to go uncovered for much longer and so right um thank you for sharing and i i really appreciate that you did and i hope that you know people have learned something with that and i mean i just want to move forward and say that these are the things that really help us grow and you know what i'm doing with beyond athletic and how i'm trying to right. infuse those concepts of education and mentorship into elite folly and build this new brand of agency for me it matters that we we're just humans we're global citizens and when we go abroad and we go to play we're leaving a mark on the world you know and why not get to know those people why not really dive into cultures and start to understand better so that we can really just uh get a, a picture into people's lives and understand where they're coming from so there's there's less you know oh, I don't know so much about this, but I heard that, but I right. know this because I met these people and I lived through this or with them or whatever. So, I mean, pro obviously up until this point, Thanksgiving was just then and this was a right. happy moment. But <laughs> right, right. if you bring it back to, to volleyball and everything that's going on, you have such an interesting season that's been happening. You have such a talented team and you're going through these things. And I know that I'm telling a little bit of that story, but it's only because right. I want to kind of... Um, fast forward to the last part where um, at some point I think it would be amazing if you just wrote a journal entry about your experience as a pro up until now because you know how much I love reflection and growing right. as a person and I think that like this is we're closing in on the halfway mark of your first season and there's so much that you've done and then 
uh, in terms of emotional growth and social growth, which are two of the health foundations, which I love to talk about a lot, you know that. <laughs> um, you've done a lot of that recently. And I think this is a very interesting point to write something and whatever you end up writing, if you do want to, I'll put with the show notes so people can read more about the season so far. But uh, just tell people really quick, uh, read through it. How's season been? Where are you guys ranked right now? And uh, how do you feel moving forward? Um, so right now, uh, being in League A for France, we're unfortunately ranked last right now. But, you know, it's also a growing period. Um, I know every team I've been on has ruts, and that's okay. But we're working through it, and uh, I think we're just kind of moving forward with what we have in a sense that we know what we're capable of and we just need to trust each other a lot more. But we had um, a good preseason. We uh, played teams in our league and, you know, ended up beating them. And we have just this crazy amount of talent that I, I got on this team. And I was like, this is insane. Like I've never been on a team with these girls that are so athletic and just so, capable of just playing such competitive volleyball and um, especially the beginning of our season we started out really really strong and we're just kind of working back to getting back to that area um, we have had a couple injuries but other than that I mean you know we're working through it and we're getting better every day through the gym because it starts in training uh, so we're still looking to hopefully, I mean, it's not impossible. It'll be a tough road, but it's not impossible to make playoffs and for sure stay in the first division because yeah. we have our goals. We have our mindset on them. We know we're capable of doing it. We just have to apply it. And we're just kind of, we're getting to that point, <laughs> especially as a team where we're like, guys, this is the time. This is the moment. Like we need to do this. We need to close in. We need to do our jobs. And we're all extremely focused and ready to start excelling and just moving on up regardless of how our season has been thus far and you know it was always hard for me because I didn't play d1 ball or anything like that I played junior right. college and, and uh, what is it called NEI yeah. and it's so far from d1 level and so you coming from top five school and then going to this team that's been struggling and obviously you have a long road ahead of you because the season's right. not as short as it is in college so a lot could happen and playoffs is really exactly the time where a lot of teams just come out of nowhere if they right. get their crap together. So how would you compare just really quickly the the differences the between the pro league and what you knew as your level of volleyball in America? Um, well, for my level in, level in America, I felt like I was very specialized. Um, I would be running, <laughs> I, I call it a basket, but it's just a slide because I'm so wired to say basket now. But I was, you know, I was trained on the slide and I, I was very specialized in one area. And I feel like coming from, you know, a top 25 team, number five team, um, it was number two my freshman year, you know, coming from such a big team that played Texas and these huge Pac-12 teams, Stanford, UCLA, you know, Minnesota, Wisconsin, all these teams, I didn't necessarily feel like the level, I mean, there are insane players here that I did seeing them in person. I'm like, Oh my goodness. Like, this is crazy. Just all on one team. Like wh who are these people? Like, Oh my gosh. And just seeing the different diversity um, in each and every team is really interesting to see. But um, the biggest difference I found here is that, you know, 
you find that one specialty is just not enough. You have to be a well-rounded player. And even since season has begun, um, we would have individual lessons where I was playing strictly defense or where I went into a setting practice, which I never, ever would ever think possible in the States. Like mm-hmm. a middle going to center, like a middle going to setting practice. Like that's the best joke of all time. And, um, <laughs> and I have the worst hands. I wasn't allowed to set in college because they they're like bump set it, whatever. But yeah. Um, that was like my first two weeks here. It was like, all right, you're going to defensive training and then you're going to setting training and you're going to literally just nail your serve here, here, here. And it's not so much specialized. It's really making you just an overall so much more rounded player. And I think you in university, it's all about um, a lot of the times it can be about oh selling these tickets and making this crowd and winning this huge game for the publicity and for, you know, all these outside, ex- yeah, exactly. All these exterior factors, but in pro, it's basically just like, nah, you're here to like win. You're here to be the best player that you can ultimately be, and you're just here to dominate. And it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, even if you know, like us right now, we're having a predicament where we're in a losing season. Like the intensity and the competitive competitiveness just doesn't ever stop. Like it's never there's never a time where you're just like okay oh my gosh like what you know in college you have time to think about that and just be like well what am I going to do about this here it's like you just go for it you don't have time to think you're just constantly training you're just constantly getting better regardless if you're having a not so great start to your season so and then um (laughs) what would you what would you say like how do you feel like the difference between, let's say, the top two teams that you've played in France, what's right. the difference in level between the states, the top teams there that you played? Do you feel? Um, I, I feel like it's definitely um, more explosive here in a sense that there are really crazy, crazy rallies here. But at the same time, it's literally, I haven't seen a happy medium. There's always crazy rallies that are, you know, so intense that you're basically hyperventilating at the end of it. (laughs) Or there's times where people are just putting balls down, like literally within the first point and you don't have time to set and reset. And the game is so much faster paced, in my opinion, um, from what I've seen, especially from the top two teams coming from France and then coming also from the United States. I feel like it's a lot faster. Um, There's players from everywhere. So you have more dynamic players. You have players that can do it all that have been playing for, sometimes you have players that have been playing for 14 years before you. I'm a rookie and I just came straight from college and this girl's been playing professional for 14 years. So there's a lot more experience. There's a whole new um, aspect to the game because, you know, we learn about being uh, volleyball IQ and being intelligent in the states but here you th- see things that you didn't even think were possible you're like what just happened like these players are so seasoned that they just have these crazy crazy moves and crazy tricks up their sleeve that it brings a whole new dynamic to the game mm. yeah I love that and it's funny because you're saying like oh this girl's like 14 years in and I'm like hey. I am. <laughs> right? You're Dang. like, oh my that's god. Me. <laughs> yeah, that's me. That's me. <laughs> I'm that person. <laughs> cool. Thank you so much, sweetheart. Yeah, of course. 
but have a good night. Get some rest. All right, you too. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. That was definitely a very emotional and awesome podcast. I really enjoyed getting to know Lauren a bit better. If you enjoyed this, if you're looking to hear anything else, if you have any input whatsoever about the podcast, about the guests that have been on, about what you'd like to hear, please leave a comment wherever you saw this and tag at Beyond Athletic Podcast or at Beyond Athletic on whatever you're on. Or go over to iTunes, search for Beyond Athletic and leave us a review. We'd love to highlight anyone that was leaving us a review about anything out there around the world. Until next time, be more. Pleading my case from the witness box Telling the judge and the jury the same thing that I said to the cops On the day that I got arrested What we doing live? Echoes in eternity I'm gonna show you how great I am And this concludes our Chicago show Please stay tuned